Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group. I'll always see myself Vinny. as a trainer. If the funny thing is, if you call my phone right now, my personal phone, it's still my old voicemail where I say, hey, I'm probably training a client right now. I'll get back to you. And everybody said over the years, why don't you change that? And I'm like, I don't know. I still could, even though I'm not out training a client likely, um, it still is how I see myself. So I don't mind not being my voicemail. That was really, that's always been my passion. And so, you know, I'll always kind of see myself two ways. One is the kid that was struggling, that had a dream and two as a trainer. And those are just, no matter where we end up, I kind of always still see myself that way. Well, well, let's rewind, man. Let's talk about that kid. Was that kid into fitness? Who was a young Larry? Yeah, when I was 16 years old, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and Raynaud's, which is a circulatory disorder. I was told, you're going to take all these corticosteroids. You'll never play sports or exercise. We couldn't even get insurance. It was like, you're going you're gonna to die at a young age because there's two different types of the ailment. Mine was considered to be the, the secondary form, the, the more severe form. Um, so I, I went against the grain, didn't take the medication, and uh, I went into the garage at 15 and a half, 16, and I, my dad had given me an old rusty standard weight set. And uh, I just started exercising, experimenting, and over a period of time, my flare-ups went away, um, all my ailments went away, and I just fell absolutely in love with fitness. I was 16, so I wanted to look better because I was a little bit overweight when I was a kid. So I did enjoy the, the aesthetic part of it and the confidence part. But the big part that made me fall in love was the fact that I didn't have to take these medications. I never had to go back to my rheumatologist. Well, I went back a few years ago to get, uh, had to go through it again to, to get a new insurance. And they had said, we wouldn't even guess that you have it anymore because you're, all of these symptoms are, are gone. Um, so, I mean, that was the thing. And from that point on, I went and used a fake ID at 16 to become a trainer at 24-Hour Fitness. You had to be 18 at the time. So I used my roommate's uh, cousin's military ID that looked like me. And the rest was history. I ended up, I'd been a trainer in training since that time on. So you're, you're 16 years old. You just started training. I mean, in that year, what basically turned you on to become a trainer? Was it simply the money aspect of it looking good? Was it kind of learning more stuff or what was the idea behind it? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was a combination of things. The biggest thing was that the I was not good in school, and I always thought that I wasn't very smart. Um, and it wasn't until fitness that I started kind of maybe thinking that wasn't the case because the first book that I read cover to cover was on biomechanics. Um, and I realized that I was really into it, so we would go to my grandparents' house in Yosemite, um, and I'd find myself off in one of their trailers where it was quiet reading that book, and I kind of realized, like, this doesn't seem like me. Um, and so I really had the fact that it that it made me healthier and I was not having to live this life that the doctors told me I was going to have to live really intrigued me. And that part of fitness really kind of sparked an interest. And then, yeah, at 16, I started having abs and stuff. And so then that part of it really made me, I really liked that part of it. Um, so there were many different areas that I loved and being at the gym wasn't, it was a place because I felt knowledgeable and I really felt like I could help people. I had a different level of confidence. I was very quiet and reserved. So in the gym, I felt like I was myself. Um, so there were just all these elements. I just, I loved pretty much everything that had to do with fitness. And I loved everything that had to do with being in a gym. How fast did from starting to work out at 16 to become a trainer and having that confidence did, did that come about? Did you already have confidence before you got into fitness or did the fitness help you get, gain confidence or? Yeah, I, I didn't have confidence. I was very quiet. I had like one friend going through like middle school, um, and I wasn't like super overweight, but I was a little bit chubby and just, 
you know, I had like the pomade comb over haircut and just like, I, I just wasn't, I, I wasn't real confident. I wasn't great looking. Um, and so I was just always very reserved and the fitness part of it, like I said, made me feel a little, I wasn't still crazy outgoing at that part at that point, but I was more confident and more outgoing. And so I really felt like I found kind of a good balance. I was willing to kind of talk to girls. Um, and so I just felt like it kind of helped me find myself. And that was really, it, it was a very short period of time from the time that I started exercising, I'd say within six months, I'd had pretty noticeable changes to my body and I really started to feel and, and carry myself differently. Okay. So what happens next? You're, you're a trainer at 24 hour fitness at, at 16, you start getting clients. How long does that happen for? And kind of what happens next? Yeah. So, uh, I'm there. I got a lot of experience under my belt back in those days. It was Mark Mastrov that like started 24 hour fitness was still very involved at that point. Uh, there were just, it, it was kind of like the, the golden era of fitness. in in my opinion, there were just some really, really bright people, hardworking people. And it was just like, you didn't realize it in the time, but you were in the presence of excellence. And so I was really fortunate to, to work with some really cool people. The main thing was it, it was still so sales driven that now obviously owning gyms, I understand there's a, a sales element. You have to pay the bills, but we never had meetings on how our clients were doing things like that. So that was something that slowly started kind of killing my passion. So I learned a lot. I was working next to great people. I ended up doing sales at the gym. I worked in different departments. Um, the pay was pretty bad, which made it hard because I lived on my own at 16. So I didn't have I didn't have any any other income and I had to be able to pay bills. So that was rough. And then it just, it, it was constantly the grind of the sales grind, hitting goals. Back in those days, they had a supplement company called Apex and the general managers and fitness managers would have to hit sales quotas for the supplements. And so they would try to get us trainers to buy the supplements so they'd hit their quota. So it's like, I'm already broke and you're forcing me to buy these crappy supplements. So there was just stuff like that that just started to really strip me of my, my passion for fitness altogether. Um, so at that point, I kind of slowly still trained clients here and there, but was doing different things. I worked for a company that did all the prepackaged sushi and Costco and things like that to try to make extra money. Um, and then I, I ended up getting in trouble, went to jail. And when I came back out, I focused fully on fitness again. All right. Let, let's you kind of breeze over a little bit. We're going to just going to run back a little bit. So you're living your own at the age of 16. What happened there? Why were you living on your own? Yeah. So I was already doing horrible in school. I had a great relationship with my mom early on. That's why she kind of allowed me to even make the decisions that I did with my rheumatoid arthritis and Raynaud's at like 15 is when it started. Um, and so, uh, she ended up getting with, with a guy that became my stepdad. And that was a really toxic relationship. We ended up in, in a physical altercation. Basically police were like, he does, this is his house. He doesn't want you here. So looking back on it, it's kind of a crazy situation. Now that I'm an adult, I'm like, dang, these like police officers told this 16 year old kid to grab his knapsack and go get a house. Like it, it was kind of looking back. I'm kind of like, this is, it, it was a weird thing, but I just thought this is what happens. I had met, like, met a couple of guys at a party that, you know, these 25 year old dudes at a party uh, a few weeks back. So I, I, I hit them up and they let me rent a room. And so that was it. I was kind of taking a city bus, uh, to and from school and work and trying to juggle everything. And, uh, I didn't end up, you know, school, I ended up not making it through school, dropped out, um, and tried to focus, tried to focus on the fitness stuff and just kind of make ends meet. Now, okay. So you drop out of school, you you're in jail. How long are you in jail for? And kind of what happens there? 
Yeah. So there was, and that was kind of a series of events. And that's why like, I'm definitely somebody who's about owning your actions, not blaming other people, but I also do have a different sense of empathy for people and understanding. So I think it's very easy from a different lens to see people make mistakes. Um, and on one end they they make it, they make excuses about it, which I think a lot of us that have pulled ourselves up, don't like to see, but at the same time there, it does give us a different idea of, of understanding why they may have done that. And for me, the understanding was that when you when you're down and you've lost and you've lost and you've lost, it, you kind of just don't care anymore. You understand they're bad decisions, but you just don't really care because you don't feel like there's anything brighter at the end of the tunnel, anyways. So for me, was I realized school wasn't going to work for me. My relationship with my mom went downhill. I didn't have a relationship with my dad, um, and so there was uh, at this point things were pretty bad. This was right around the time that I got in an altercation with my stepdad. I had a good girlfriend that had had tried to get in between her, her best friend and her boyfriend that were getting in a fight. And the boyfriend pushed her, told her he was going to beat her up. I saw him at the gym and just kind of asked, I thought maybe it was the heat of the moment. So I asked him, Hey, you know, were you just mad? Or are you actually going to punch her next time you see her? And he said, no, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to punch her next time I see her. So I said, okay, do you, you know, you want to punch me instead? We can go outside. It was one of those things where one of those altercations that could have 99 times out of 100 would have been two guys that got in a fight in a parking lot and walked away, but he got hit the wrong way and it blinded him in one eye. And so that situation, I, I just knew at that point my life was not going to be a good situation. I ended up getting in another fight where somebody got hurt. Then I ended up breaking into cars and just like basically just said, I'm going to jail and I don't really care. So I got sentenced to a long period of time, but did a very short time, did like a couple months out of a long sentence because it was at a period of time where the jails were overpopulated. But even those few months, there's a lot of people that talk about like, yo, I don't care. There's a lot of people that I don't think people even realize in jail don't really care that they're there. Like they just, they're not suffering. They just, they, they're in there. They live their life pretty normally. That was not me. It was torturous and I'm not going to act hard about it all. The, the little bit of time that I did was terrible. And I told myself, I'm, I'm not going to end up back in here again. Like, this is it. And the big thing about that wasn't just a lesson learned, but it was a driving factor because I had enough sense about me to realize I'm coming out of this with two felonies, two violent felonies. I'm not getting hired anywhere that I want to work. And I want to retire my mom. I want to do great things with my life. I have one, one option now, and that's betting on myself and going to do something on my own. So I kind of realized that at that point. And I think that that was a huge thing for me is people talk about taking something good from a bad situation. That was something that was very good from a bad situation is I didn't have other options in my mind. And it really allowed me to focus more on myself and building something. Um, so the, the, the driver of not doing that again, and basically the, the pleasure of kind of being where you want to be helping your mom out. So you and your mom had a good relationship, even though it was, you were kind of forced on your own. Even yeah. So, bit. Yeah. I mean, I was a huge mama's boy before that. Like I thought a normal weekend was watching days of our lives, soap opera with your mom. Like I just was a mama's boy and I loved hanging out with my mom. Um, so even though I was really upset about my stepdad would, would create lies and try to get her to believe stuff. And so there was a lot of manipulation that went on. So I was frustrated with my mom, but even at that time she would, if she could bring over $20 to the house I was living at, she was always, you could tell she was in a, in a weird spot. Um, mm -hmm. So we still had that relationship. And I knew that a big thing was we would, he would get in fights with her and say, great, get in the car and leave. You have nowhere to go. And we'd end up on the side of the road in this car and she'd be crying and we'd have to go back because that's the house and he holds all the cards. So I always had this dream when I was a kid to tell her, 
my biggest dream was to pull up to a house one day and tell her, this is yours and nobody can hold it over your head and no one can take it from you. And that'll always be the greatest moment of my life is I was able to do that. I bought my mom a house, put a bow on the front of it and we drove up and I was able to whisper in her ear, like, this is yours and no one can ever take it from you. So that was, even though there was times where I was very upset, times where I didn't like how she, how she responded, I knew she was in a bad place. And my dream was still always to take her out of this really tumultuous place so that she could be who she is and make the decisions that I know she wants to make. Okay. So okay, let's rewind. So you're back on track. You're, you, you know, no one's going to hire you cause you have two felonies. Now what happens next? Are you, you go strictly back to training or what happens next? Yeah. So then I came back out. I knew that I had to kind of just go where I could at that point to start making money immediately. So I went back to another commercial gym, um, went back to LA fitness at that time and, uh, knew some people there. So I was able to get hired. Um, and the idea was get my feet wet and kind of see where I'm going to go from here. I, I wasn't looking at only fitness, but I was, I knew that I had to be an entrepreneur. I had to do something. So, um, I, I started training and shortly after being there, um, I met my now wife and she was the head of finance for Mercedes. She was seven years older than me, gorgeous, very successful, made like 25 grand a month. She, she was, you know, what I considered way, way out of my league. And, uh, even being at a gym and always being around very pretty women, she made me uncomfortable, made me sweaty, made me stutter. And she would tell me I've had trainers since I was young. You're the best trainer I've ever had. Like I'm, I, it's amazing that you don't have your own training studio. And so she kind of like gave me this confidence from our first session. Um, I, I, I left that session, told the front desk guy, I'm going to marry that girl. And, uh, I was totally crazy about her from that, from that first session within two weeks, we lived together and we were together after that, after meeting only for two weeks. And she pushed me and said, look, you need to go off and do your own thing. So, um, at that time in 2007, CrossFit was just getting started. No one had really heard of it. And there weren't boot camps. It was basically a few personal training studios that you may find in a town and commercial gyms. So I didn't really have anybody to emulate. I didn't really know what to do. Um, and I had no money and I had no fun, no financing. So I just went to a city park. I had my mom come and then my, my now wife, they were my first two clients. And, uh, I just kind of grassroots trial and error and kind of moved, moved one client at a time through things at that park. How were you pulling clients from there? Was it strictly word of mouth? Were people walking by asking what's going on or what was the process? Yeah. So I had done like hundreds of hours of research, had this huge marker board. And I would just go at that time, a lot of, a lot of websites, some YouTube stuff, but I would constantly be looking at, and, and at that time, some of the big names in fitness now weren't, didn't have their own, their own fitness programs, but they would do some consulting or marketing stuff. And that's kind of how they made their money. So if you look at like Bedros Koulian, um, he had a buddy, Chris, Chris McCombs, the, the late Sam Bakhtiar, he, he, they were all big at that point uh, of promoting different marketing techniques and things like that. So I would kind of go to their stuff and see some of the free info they would give out. I would go to other people's websites. Um, this was kind of like really early in social media. So you'd see some stuff in social media, but I had kind of come up with a bunch of guerrilla marketing tactics uh, that would kind of stem from those things. So I did um, some yard signs that you would put out. I did just regular postcards um, and, and a bunch of different types of stuff like that. And just kind of trial and error. Um, we were one of the very early days for Groupon. So we had some good success in Groupon. So I was constantly looking at different ways to market um, and just constantly trying new things. Now, being that you, you at the, when you first started, it was just your mom and your now wife, 
you probably weren't getting that much income coming through. So were you doing a side gig? How are you making money to even do the advertising or even to live? Yeah. I mean, long story short, we didn't, we ended up losing our home. Um, at that time when the, it, obviously we started during the recession in 2007, 2008. So my wife went from making $25,000 a month and just bought a brand new home to making $800 a month. So she ended up, um, you know, being in a place where she was pretty stressed. And I told her a big decision that I'd made when, when we did this was I was saying, I, I as I was getting more in, into fitness and doing it my way, I was just so in love with it that I told her, even if we don't make a lot of money doing this, I'm okay doing this forever. Like, even if I don't live a grand life, I would be okay waking up and doing this each day. Um, but I told her, of course, I would like to make it successful. And I said that the big thing that I wanted was her to do it with me. Anybody that knows anybody that does finance at a high level in, in the, the auto industry, you basically work 24 hours a day. They're, you're on call. If somebody's going to come in and buy a Mercedes SLR and they want to do a deal with you, you're waking up in the middle of the night and you're going to go do a deal with them. So I hated that. And I really wanted to spend time with my wife. Um, so I felt like this was, that was an opportunity. I brought, I asked her to quit her job um, and bring her over with me. And I told her, you know, we, we were already kind of losing the house and stuff. I supplemented our income by doing Christmas lights. So I would hang and take down Christmas lights during the holidays. Um, and so that helped us kind of make ends meet. And then I would buy and use, uh, buy and sell used work trucks. So at that point in 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008, I realized that there were a lot of people that couldn't finance work trucks that had these companies and they needed to just buy one cash. So it was a very small niche, but I could buy an F-150, clean it up, take better pictures of it and repost it and sell it for $500 more and make 500 bucks. So it was a small margin. Um, but I had several, several work trucks in the front of, front of our house, um, that we would be constantly buying and selling. Um, I would buy and sell other other little stuff off Craigslist, um, and then we always did holiday stuff. So I would make money uh, a good a good amount of money hanging and taking down Christmas lights throughout the holidays. So you're you're doing side gigs, you're making money that way. When did you come to the point that you're getting enough business that you felt comfortable opening up actually your first gym? Yeah, I don't even think when we did it, I was comfortable. Um, I think it was like I realized at that time. I had looked and there was Barry's boot camp in LA, which was kind of the first boutique boot camp style gym. And uh, obviously that was in like a multi-million dollar space. And, you know, I think even it, right when they opened, I think they had like the Kardashians in them or whatever. So I knew that that wasn't the level I was at, but I saw this as an opportunity to be able to, to have a better value proposition. And that's always been my thing is I remember from the beginning thinking, I don't know anything about business. All I know is what I would do if I was a person. If I was a person coming to work out somewhere, where is the greatest value? And if I can at least do that, I should be on the path to do okay. And so even when we were at the park, once we started, we started seeing other boot camps pop up. I went and bought a U-Haul and I put the Chuck Norris Total Gyms in there. I had a welding buddy help me make these uh, apparatus that would stack together that you could do dips and pull-ups and a bunch of other stuff on that we could pull out of the back of the truck. Um, I had dumbbells up to 65 pounds and benches. So you would see people at the park doing full-on workouts that were at an ability that these other boot camps didn't have. So I was, I, I was always very intrigued by that point, being passionate as a trainer, how do I offer better workouts? How do I scale better? So what the indoor space was a huge appeal to me was even though we don't have a lot of clients, even though we don't have a lot of money, this is going to be a, a better value proposition that's going to help us get there. And so I just one day after, after our classes, I was sitting in the U-Haul truck. Um, I was the weird guy that would drive this big U-Haul up to, up to Starbucks. And people are like, I don't, I don't know if this guy lives in this thing, but this is, it's a very strange sight to see this guy in this huge U-Haul pull up to the, to the Starbucks. But I would work from there in between classes 
And uh, I started just looking on LoopNet and I found a space nearby, talked to the people. Um, and it was a very, now looking back, a very weird situation because getting into a space isn't normally that easy. But within like a day and talking to them, they were like, yeah, sure, you can take the space. Um, after a few years, my wife and I hadn't had one vacation, not even like a staycation. We didn't take any days off. Um, and I had planned our first vacation. And so this was, we were going to have to skip the vacation. So my wife came and looked at the space and I told her, Hey, if we do it, here's where we're at. This is the timeline that we'd have to open and, and we'd have to miss our vacation. And, you know, a testament to her and, and the importance of having an amazing partner. I never told her we're not going on this vacation. I more presented it as here's our options as my partner here's what we have to look at. And I won't forget it. She walked out to the car in the parking lot. She sat in the car and I just kind of stood in the space for a little while. And she, she sat in that car and cried. And then she came back out and said, I think we need to do it. So let's, let's do it. And we had to, we didn't have money for flooring. So we had to lay carpet ourselves. We had to paint it ourselves. We had to do everything ourselves. And she sat there with me and laid carpet and did everything with me. And uh, we just went in there without enough clients or without anything, but just betting on the fact that we would make it work. <clears throat> When do you come to the point that you actually felt comfortable that you took on that space? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's always a couple funny questions. One is when did you feel comfortable? And the other one is when did you feel like it was really successful? And the funny thing about our story is I don't think either one was real clear cut because every time we'd feel comfortable, I would like double down on something else and we'd be out of money again and scared. So it was like, it never, one, an interesting thing is we never took out a line of credit ever. So to this point where our business is, I've never had a loan or leveraged a credit card or anything. Mm -hmm. Everything has been financed, which I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say is the smartest way to do it. It was more out of necessity because I couldn't get loans. And then by the time we were down the line far enough, that's just how I, I saw business. So I kept doing it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a scary thing because every year for probably 10 years, we were flat broke, scared how we'd pay the rent for several months out of the year because of a new venture we'd go down and how we'd invest our money. So, you know, when we got in there, I'd say probably within a few months, um, we felt like we were kind of at a decent spot. I'll remember one of the big goals was making 10,000 a month or bringing in 10,000 a month in revenue was a huge goal for me. And so we had gotten to that point, but then we ended up doing a, a $15,000 transformation challenge. And again, this was really early before you saw those kind of things. The biggest loser was on TV. Um, but you didn't see the transformation challenges like we do now. So that was like a really big thing that you didn't see places and we didn't have $15,000. So that was a, it was like, I really hope this works or this is going to be really awkward. Um, so that was kind of, as soon as we started to make that money, we took that leap into that. And then it kind of just snowballed into more things like that. Well, then let me jump back then with not comfortable, I guess in that sense, but I guess comfortable in actually hiring on other trainers, admin, when did you feel comfortable there? Was it off the back right when you opened the doors or is there a window of time that it actually took to actually start bringing people on? Yeah, I was always really, really conservative with that one because we didn't have a lot of money and two was because I really just didn't have a lot of trust for people. So that was, and I think that a lot of people that listen to this can probably relate to that is one of the biggest reasons that I see a lot of people unable to scale is because they don't trust people and for good reason, they've been screwed over and it's very hard to hand those reins over again. So for me was I had brought on a buddy who I had trained with at the commercial gyms known for a long time. He ended up being my one trainer and that was all we had. My, my wife and I ran everything, ran every class other than the classes that he would train. And we did that for years. Um, once we moved the space we were in, the first space we were in was like 1700 square feet. It was tiny. Um, 
we ended up during that recession, that building that he leased out to me, I later found out the reason it was so easy to get into it was because he was in foreclosure and he was just taking my money and he knew he was losing the building. I had a buddy that was, he was a client that was able to see it as a listing and said, Hey man, like you're going to have a padlock on this door pretty soon. So we had to scurry to get our stuff out of it and find a second space. Um, that was a, a whole long ordeal. And we were very fortunate. The landlords that we have now in that same space were just amazing people. And they, they owned the building and they were just really empathetic. And they, they let us into the space like really quickly. Um, and once I'd gone into that space, we started to build the business. And then that trainer ended up betraying us when went across town and, and tried to start his own business. And so that I went down that similar road that, that again, I think a lot of the entrepreneurs listening to this may, may relate to was then I felt super jaded. Then I didn't want to hire anybody. Um, so it took a while for me to kind of work through that and get to a better place. Now feeling jaded. Cause, because like you said, a lot of people can probably relate to that, right? I mean, someone taking their idea or you grow, you grow them to a level and they go, I can do this myself. So did, what did you have to, to get through? Was it better systems? Was it working on your own self to be okay with someone leaving you when you get to that point? I mean, what do you have to work on? Yeah, I mean, there's certain things I think the first thing for people in business to look at is being really honest with yourself, where where you're good and where you aren't. And what I always say is what I was built for and what I wasn't. So not what you're good at because some stuff you can develop. There's certain things in business intrinsically you are not built for. I'd say a lot of things in business just made sense to me. They weren't, it didn't, I would under, I was confused how it didn't make sense to other people. So a lot of the stuff made sense, but there's one major area that I wasn't built for. And I really give a shit and I really do invest in people. So that was a huge part that was a massive struggle for me was being people saying it's just business and stuff like, I don't believe that. You know what I mean? Is this, I'm a person and you know what you did to me and it's just an excuse to do the wrong thing and use a saying that it's just business. So for me was I took things personal and they were major blows to me where that stuff would happen. Um, and it just took a period of time for me to realize I'm never going to respond like some people that just go, oh, yeah, this this happened and I don't care. You know, I don't I'll never be that person. But I have to be able to get to a place that's much better than where it, where it destroys me or I become really upset. And so that just took work was me. You know, one is if you ever saw my birthday parties up until even like five years ago, every member staff member was at my house and I was really, really, really close to them. I'm still very nice to my staff. I'm still very cool with my members, but they're not at my house all the time. I don't let people get as close to me because I realize that I can respect you. I can like you. I can have a relationship with you, but allowing you to get too close to me just puts me in a place to where I'm going to start making bad decisions if you do do X, Y, and Z in business. So that was part of the development for me was understanding how I need to, to put myself in business to prevent myself from being in a bad place. Um, and the other thing was just understanding that that's going to happen and you can't really control it. You know, is that's, you're not going to going into business and saying, well, I'm just not going to be as nice to you, or I'm not going to teach you as much that just hurts your business. Cause now you have a business that has people that don't feel cared for and they don't feel like you're empowering them. So that's not helping you either. So you have to go into it feeling like I'm going to put my best foot forward. I hope this works out, but if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And so that's kind of the attitude that I've had now. And I've had people, you know, we have people between all of our gyms, we have 27 locations signed, 18 that are open and running. And out of those 18 gyms that are open and running, we have trainers that go off on a regular basis. And most of them, I, you know, I'll have some of them that I've never even met in person, but have a relationship through social media or whatever. And they'll send me a message and just say, Hey man, you know, 
I apologize. This is what I'm going to do. And I wish them well and tell them, hey, if you have, if you have a grand opening, I'd love to be invited. I want people, if this isn't the fit for you, I want you to go off and I want you to go and explore what you want to explore from my entrepreneurial being to just wanting what's best for people. But, and it's a big but, a lot of people don't want to go off and do it on their own, their own merit. They want to try to pull from what they can, say bad things about the business they were at. So that's the one area that, again, I don't go crazy over it because it happens, but that's an area that I think is just something that people could learn from only does you harm. Leaving the place you're at to go do your own thing is commendable. And the person that was your boss before being hard on you for that is just an asshole. But if you're trying to go in and say bad things about their business to steal their business, you're just you're making yourself look bad and you're really preventing yourself from doing the proper growth. You need to just go out and get your own business, which is how you're going to have to continue your business anyhow. So I would say that would be a big thing that, you know, I would love people to kind of realize. Uh, and I think that for the other owners or, or entrepreneurs is just looking at that fact that, um, you know, you really just can't control it. It's going to happen. Well, I mean, talking about the, the, the growth potential that you have, you, you're talking about how many franchises you have. I mean, when you started franchising out, you almost gave opportunity for these trainers to open up their own brand under your umbrella. I mean, what was was that part of this mindset right here to allow your people to grow? Yeah, I, I looked at it as, in a few ways. When we started to have an opportunity to grow, I looked at it, one, from a staff perspective and two, from a, a service workout uh, overall experience level. One is I understand the amount of love that I put into my location was more so than any place I worked at, not because I didn't care about where I worked, but there's just something different about owning it. So you just, even if you're an amazing employee, you just go an extra little bit when you own it. And so that's something I wanted. If I want to be successful at this, I want the people that own these, I want the people that run these locations to work as hard as I work for my location. The other part was I understood that any of the people that were going to deliver on that level were probably going to have the mindset that I do, which is I don't want a ceiling. If I deliver amazing experience and I deliver amazing in my marketing and everything else, I want to see potential upside for myself as well, not just the clients. And so I realized that the, the franchise model was the only way to do that. If you're a trainer with us, you can go from trainer, you can go to head trainer. We've got you know fitness manager or general manager roles at some of the gyms, depending on how big they are. And then you can open your own. And so you know, the people that that are with us don't have a ceiling. If they choose to go off and do it on their own, that's totally okay. But at least I know that it's not because I capped their potential or they had nowhere to go with me. What What are some things you had to learn about franchising your business? Because now you're not there every day. You're putting systems in place to to allow them to succeed. Yet you don't want to micromanage them because now it doesn't feel like it's their place. So what was that balancing act of of learning to be a franchise owner? Yeah, I mean it's super super hard. One is picking the right people is a huge huge thing. So we've gone through some. Uh, some relationships that didn't work and we had to work through those to get to relationships that do. Um, in the beginning, I, I can see people making two mistakes. One is you choose people out of the kindness of your heart because they're your buddy, because they're somebody that's a friend. Um, and the other opposite side, the polar opposite is you choose because they just have the money. And both of those can be equally as bad. Um, picking somebody that you really like, but doesn't have the propensity to do this to a high level is really setting you up for just a bad situation. Taking somebody that just has the money but doesn't have the skills to do a great job is putting you in just as bad a spot. So it's really trying to, you know, we have questionnaires and interview process now that's much better at helping us find the right fit. So we can, I can understand by the time 
we've talked to you and you've filled out these personality questionnaires and these other things, you likely are going to be a good fit where it's not guaranteed, but it absolutely would have weeded through some of the people in the beginning that just absolutely were not. The other thing is it's being, I think that for a lot of entrepreneurs, we're doers. So we do, they make sense to us and we do it. We wake up, we do this in our business. You don't realize how much you do that is an actual detail. So from how you, how you open the cash register, how you, how you do your inventory, uh, there's so many small details that I can't even think of in each type of business, but that would be stuff that you would never think about training somebody on because we have that word that's, uh, that I think very, very difficult in franchising, which is common sense is that they'll know how to do that. They'll just understand that. Well, what you know, doesn't necessarily translate to what somebody else knows, even if you feel that it's a minuscule detail or something that they should understand. So that was a big thing for me was understanding how detailed you want to be and need to be, to be successful, um, to make that franchisee successful. And the other big thing was how people learn. So, you know, we now have portals that are video training that have tests at the end of each portal for, for video training. We have just audio, we have written, just everything's in documents. So some people like to read, some people like to listen, some people like to view. Um, and then we do in-person, in-person training as well. So we do a 40 hour franchise training as well as workshops and seminars afterwards. So those would be two big things that I would say is picking the right person and understanding how you're going to execute that. And then the other part is making sure that your material is very, very detailed and that it's in a, in a way that people can learn to, depending on how they, how they like to absorb that type of material. Where do you go next? Where do you take yourself and where do you take hardcore in the next five years? Yeah. I mean, right now a big goal that we had was our holistic approach. So I wanted to be able to have a really, really great online portal that was just free to our members. So I don't want to, I don't want to create a lot of stuff that necessarily creates a lot of extra fees, but again, as the value proposition isn't just what I think makes us different, but it's what I like to wake up in the morning and do. I've never had a corporate meeting with our corporate staff to talk about income. Hey, this year we need to open this many gyms or make an extra 10 million. We've never had a single meeting setting goals on that kind of stuff. Every meeting is how do we make things better? How do we come out with new stuff or do things in a better way? That's what really drives me and makes me excited. Um, so, you know, we just launched our, the, our live and on-demand workouts are free for all of our members. So that's something that was cool. So we divide, developed the site for that. I now have a handful of pieces of equipment that we've been working on for the last like four or five years that are all, all patented um, that are not only going to be put into the gyms to allow us to do anything from a hack squat to a pendulum squat and all these other really cool, unique movements you won't see in any other group training, but I'll also be selling those to the public as well. So, you know, I, I see the, the ultimate model for me that excites me is something that is truly better in, in what we're doing, where somebody sits down. And if I'm talking to you and I sell gym memberships, I'm going to sell you a gym membership because that's what I do, not necessarily because that's what you need. And I see a vision where I could sit down with you and go, hey, we have this at-home model. Maybe we should put you through a demo on that. You seem like somebody who prefers to be in your home setting, prefers to work out. You would have a difficult time getting to the gym. So instead of having competing areas of fitness, we would have it all under one roof. And you could come in and go through a demo on one of the home units. You could go through a, a demo or an, an assessment and try out the classes. You, we have the online program. So that's kind of been the direction now is I want to create something that has a multitude of options and we can go through a really custom assessment and see what works best for that person, whether it be one of those services or a multitude of those saying, Hey, if you're only going to be able to come into the gym twice a week, 
here's a membership option for you, but you'd like to do the rest of your workouts from home. Maybe it could be the at-home workouts or it could be an at-home workout unit. Um, so really just creating a, a different way that we approach selling gym memberships or selling fitness equipment, not coming from a perspective, I'm selling it because I make money on it, but really coming from a place of I'm selling it to you because it's gen genuinely what you need. And now we've gone through this assessment. I've guided you into what you need, and I'm going to give you these options. Well, thank you, Larry, uh, for being here today. I mean, I'll finish off with this one last question. Is there any advice you would give to your younger self that just got out of jail that maybe might get you to where you are now, maybe a little quicker? Oh, man, so much advice that I would have given to him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess while there's a lot of advice that I could give him, I, I would say that I don't think that I would have necessarily changed anything because the stuff that I did wrong, which was most of what I did, I learned from. So, you know, uh, I would probably let him keep going down that same course because I'm not one of those people that probably would have learned from what that what the old guy would have told me anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would have definitely just said that the biggest advice that I would have given, not necessarily something, I guess, to get there faster, but would have been to get there with less struggle, would have said just to trust yourself. And, you know, even if other people don't see it, you know, you seeing it is enough. And that was one of the biggest struggles I think I went through was, a lot of friends and family would make fun of me and, and I'm at a park and I'm a grown man with like two clients and a U-Haul truck. And it, it was very defeating. People would feel that I'm crazy and this makes no sense. Nobody does these group fitness things. Um, so it was a constant battle to keep keep my vision clear and, and, and push past it when they're like, you're losing your home, you're losing your cars. So I think that that's a battle that a lot of other entrepreneurs might be facing. And it's okay if other people don't see your vision, you know, and it's okay if other people think it's crazy. Most of the stuff that we look at today that's really awesome was once seen as crazy. So um, I would have told my younger self, you know, just go with go with what feels right. And it's OK if everybody doesn't see it. One day they're going to wake up and it's going to be undeniable that what you were talking about was true and that it was real. Thank you again, Larry. And if people are listening, what's the best way of them finding more information about hardcore? If there's a hardcore in their location or maybe if they want to start a franchise in, in their, their area. Yeah, hardcorefitnessbootcamp.com. And there's you can go there to fill out an inquiry for franchising or just get more information uh, on the program. Or they can hit me up on my, my Instagram too, just hardcorefitlarry. I, I respond to all my DMs and stuff off of there also. Perfect. Thank you again, Larry, for being here. Hopefully everyone listening got, got some great nuggets. I mean, from someone at a young age that maybe health wasn't there, confidence came out of fitness. And, you know, you could be somewhere right now where maybe you don't have the confidence Maybe working out is going to get you there or having someone in your trusted corner. I mean, even getting basically kicked to the curb, Larry, at a young age, still had the confidence. Now found a wife, right, back in the day that basically had the confidence in too. I mean, having someone in your corner can be a huge thing. So be open. There's probably someone that wants to be in your corner. Just allow them in and the world's your oyster. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe. Please share. And go to Hardware. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.